I wonder if any of you ever have stuff in life that you can't figure out. Any, anybody show of hands? Ever deal with any of that? Not many of you. Okay, that's great. I'm, I'm glad we've got a group that's all together. Life's all figured out. But the ones of you who are honest and raised your hand, do you ever face situations that you can't make sense of? Are you ever at a loss for how to respond to, a certain, to certain people or situations that come your way? Remember our universal sign language. This is yes, this is no. Do you ever, more pointedly, need wisdom for dealing with the hand you've been dealt? Well, as we go back to James 1 this morning, we're going to find just exactly what we need. We began last Sunday morning a study of the little letter of James toward the end of your Bibles, and we entitled this study through this the letter of James, Practical Grace, the only real kind. We just finished the book of Galatians. The title of that series was Radical Grace, the only real kind. You say, well, I'm confused. You're saying it's the only about two different things. That's right. It's two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, the book of Galatians tells us our salvation rests completely and only on the merits and finished work and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's radical. We have nothing to do with our standing before a holy God. It's all because of Jesus. And yet if radical grace, James makes it clear, doesn't change our lives, then we've never known Christ to begin with. For faith without works that follow, James says, is dead. And so if radical grace is not followed by practical, life-changing grace then we've never known Christ at all. James chapter 1, I want to back up. We looked at verses 1 through 4 last week. I want to back up and get a run and start from chapter 1, verse 2, down through verse 8. And our focus will be on verses 5 through 8. James begins the body of his letter and he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because... The only way you can do such a crazy thing is because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that God has a purpose in your trials. And so, verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then he turns on that idea of lacking something into verse 5, and he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I want to talk to you this morning about wisdom that leads to maturity. Again, we're going to focus on verses 5 through 8, and the take-home is this. We can consistently live by God's wisdom in all the trials of our lives. That's what these first eight verses are all about. We can consistently live by God's wisdom in all the trials of our lives. And if we will, we will find 
that this wisdom from God leads us to maturity. I want you to see three things from our text this morning along these lines. Three, three realities here in this text that help us understand that we can consistently live by God's wisdom in all of our trials, and we can walk in wisdom that leads to maturity. The first thing I want you to see from the, at the end of our, our verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5 is this, our lack of wisdom. If we're going to grow in wisdom, we've got to know we need wisdom, Right? Verse, verse 4 says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. You see, before God is done with us in a trial, there is a time we've not gotten the whole point of the trial. Right? You ever been there? You get about halfway through the trial, you don't really know how far into the trial you are, right? Because trials are that way. They don't, they don't come with an expiration date. They don't come with a, 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 a time. This is when it's going to be over. They just start. And they continue. And you're not sure where you're at in the, in the progress, but there's a time in there somewhere where, where, where perseverance in that trial has not completely finished its work. God's not done with you yet. He's still teaching you, and it's in those times when you want to run and, and go somewhere else, escape the trial. James says, if you like wisdom, you should ask God. Because the goal is that at the end of the trial, you are found mature. You're found to have learned all the lessons and, and benefited from all of the exercises God's put your heart and, and mind through. So that you are mature and don't like anything. But in the middle of the trial, you need wisdom to get to the end. You see, we don't just naturally have God's perspective on life, do we? Amen? This would be a good time for a confession. I mean, none of us just wake up on Monday morning and, man, right off the bat, wow, I, it, this, I've got it all, I've got it figured out. All these problems that I went to bed with last night, they're, they're solved. I completely see the world through the mind of Almighty God and, and it's just good. It's just easy now, right? Nobody talks like that. Nobody thinks like that. That's not your experience. Especially when it comes to the trials of life. Those really rattle us, don't they? I mean, a good day is bad enough to get through. Hard enough to deal with. In the wisdom of God. But the trials? And so the starting place to getting God's wisdom is acknowledging that we don't have it. To humbly confess our lack and our need of God's Supply, if any of you lacks wisdom, you've got to admit you need wisdom. Job 28, and I'm just going to fly through this passage. Job 28, verses 12 to 28. Earlier in this chapter, Job has said that there's mines for gold and silver. There's places on the earth you can go and find all these things. But then he says in verse 12, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Listen, no mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living, and yet you and I most often look for wisdom, how we're going to deal with certain people and circumstances in our lives in the land of the living. We look to each other, don't we? The deep says it's not in me. The sea says it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or something I can't even pronounce. 
Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. It's more valuable than anything the world has to offer. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden, Job says, from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. You see, we're not born with wisdom. And we cannot attain it on our own. Wisdom is only found when we acknowledge our lack of it and we turn to the source of wisdom himself. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, which is our second point. First of all, we must understand our lack of wisdom. Secondly, we must understand God's supply of wisdom. The second part of verse 5 says, you should ask God. You don't have wisdom. You've acknowledged that. But you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be it. Wisdom will be given to you. Isn't that an amazing verse? You don't have it. You can and should ask God, and if you do, he gives it generously without finding fault, and, and, and when you ask, he will, it will be given to you. Proverbs 2, 6, and 7 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. The picture being painted there is God's got a warehouse full of wisdom for you, if you'll ask him. The text says that he gives wisdom generously. The word means without reservation, without measure. He does not ration out his wisdom. He does not say, okay, you need wisdom, I'll give you two ounces of wisdom today, and that's got to get you through till Thursday. If you come back on Thursday, I'll give you two more ounces, and that'll get you through till Saturday. We can talk again on Sunday if you need more. No, he doesn't give that way. When we come and ask God for wisdom, he overgives the wisdom. He lavishes the wisdom. He pours out the wisdom. He gives generously. He gives wisdom with all that he has, all that he is. And the text says he gives without finding fault. Without reproach. Your translation may say, without reproach. Another word there is without reprimand. Parents, has there ever been a time in your relationship with your children when it's kind of been rough going, meaning they have not been obedient to your instructions, and then yet they reach that point where they have to circle around and realize they need your help? They need something from you. I got a raised hand over here. Yeah, okay. 
<coughs> we've all been there, right? And, and, and just think with me about how that goes. If I'm guessing, now some of y'all are rough, and the one that raised her hand, she's particularly difficult. But, uh, and she probably just told her kid, no, forget it. I'm just kidding, Brandy. But anyway, we would like to do that. But, you know, most of us, even though they've been behaving however they've been behaving, and by the way, we were all kids once, and we did this to our parents, so, you know, kids, take heart. You'll, if you just do what we tell you, you'll, you'll live. <clears throat> but, you know, it's, it's been rough, but we usually come around, we give them what, we, what, what they want, but here's the way it goes. Here's the way that conversation goes. Son, I'm going to help you out, but you need to understand the way you've been acting and the way you've been behaving and the way you've been responding to me, we're done with that. That's over. Are, are y'all tracking with me? It's not giving without reproach. It's not giving without reprimand. In fact, it, it provides, that moment provides the platform for a good dose of reprimand. Because they've been acting out. They've been, they, they've been in, living in sin and disobedience. Bunch of heathen children, they've been acting just like the devil himself in the house. And so we take that opportunity to pour out some good, strong, healthy reprimand, right? And, I, you know, here's the thing. I'm not saying that's wrong because I really don't believe it is or else I'd have to go re-raise four or five of the six kids we got. But here's what I am saying in the beauty of our God. God gives generously without finding fault. It's called grace. God won't bring up yesterday's failure and hold it over your head and tell you to come back when you get your act together. And that's simply amazing. But how do we know for sure that when we go to God, how do we know for sure that, that what happens next, and we're, we haven't got to the prayer part yet, but fast forward and then back up. Fast forward, we pray, we ask Him. Then stuff starts happening. We start hearing things or receiving counsel, whatever. How do we know for certain that a, that, that a, that a particular perspective on this person that we're dealing with or this, this circumstance we're in, how do we know for certain that God's perspective or, or that, that that perspective we're hearing is God's wisdom? Are y'all tracking? How do we know that it's not some other kind of wisdom? How can we be sure that the wisdom we think we're hearing from God is actually from God and, and, and that, 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 that we're interpreting it right? Well, James tells us over in chapter 3, James chapter 3, verses 13 and 18, when you pray to God, here's the deal. You can be certain that what we're about to read is the kind of wisdom he will give. If that's not the kind of wisdom you hear, it's not from God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? So all you got to do is pay attention for the next three, four minutes right here, catch James 3, 13 to 18, and then go back to it every time you pray and ask God for wisdom and you think you're hearing an answer. You take that answer and you compare it to these verses. Is that practical? Does that make sense? I mean, that, I mean that, that's where the rubber meets the road, folks, right there. James chapter 3, verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Don't say, you, don't, don't say you've got God's wisdom. 
For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly. They're unspiritual. But let's be real clear, James says, and demonic. Hello? I mean, we live in a world shaped by jealousy and selfish ambition. Our nation runs on it. Our society runs on it. Hello? The powers that govern our nation run on it. Sometimes you just got to call an elephant an elephant, don't you? When it's standing in the room. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder. Do we see any disorder today? You know any disorder in your life when you try to live it without God's wisdom? You'll find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. Did you hear that? When something comes along and you're wondering whether it's godly wisdom, just sniff it. Is it pure? Or does it stink like sin? Is it impure? Is it foul? Is it immoral and ungodly? I mean, you... <laughs> the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and will, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And you want to know how people who have this wisdom will live? Do you want to know what the church of Jesus Christ ought to look like as we live out godly wisdom? He's fixing to tell you. Look at verse 18. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Is that the way you're living today? Is this the wisdom you're living by today? Because James says this is the only wisdom from God. Now you've got a filter. And if you hear stuff and you think, oh yeah, that sounds good. Run it through this filter and if it gets filtered out, guess what? It wasn't God's wisdom. If it doesn't sync up, you don't have godly wisdom. You've got demonic, James says, wisdom. Demonic. He starts out kind of easy, earthly, unspiritual. But then he says, it's all the same thing. It's demonic. Do you understand that if it's not the wisdom of God, then it's the wisdom of the devil? It's that, it's that simple. I mean, it, there's no middle ground. If the supposed wisdom being presented to you doesn't line up with the definition of God's wisdom given here, it is not from God. And hear me, you and I do not need it to survive. Now, if you'll take that last statement I made and think about it and apply it all across your life, it'll change the way you live. Change what you fear. Change what you respect. Right? Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11, Jesus says this about prayer. <laughs> Ask and it will be given. And, 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 more, and more so, more specifically here, about 
the, the character of our Father. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? James says... If you like wisdom, ask God, and he will generously give to you. In Romans 8, verses 31 and 32, Paul says, What then shall we say in response to these things? These things being just the glory of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, that's not all things that we want and think we need, but according to James, how will he not freely give us wisdom? You know, sometimes in a trial, we, we, we question that. We start thinking crazy, like, I'm in this trial. That must mean God doesn't love me. That must mean I've done something wrong. That must mean God's keeping me at arm's length. I mean, how, how can I pray? If God, God, if you treat me this way, I don't really have a lot to say to you. We missed the point. He loves us enough to discipline us and train us and shape us. And it's in that moment he wants us to cry out to him. And just like he gave his own son in that moment, he wants to give you wisdom. And he doesn't want to give you just a little bit. He wants to blast you with his wisdom. Kent Hughes says, God is like a pitcher tilted toward his children, just waiting to pour wisdom over the trial-parched landscape of their lives if they will but ask. And yet you and I so often live in that trial parched landscape of life and never ask for the water of the wisdom of God that would soothe the dryness that would give understanding to at least some of the pain and and what we're dealing with give us some wisdom and insight into what God is doing in us or or perhaps through us in the middle of that trial I want to change the image of water Uh, I want to stay with the image of water but I want to change it up just a little bit. When it comes to God and giving wisdom to his children, this is what it looks like. If you can't see that real good, it's a busted fire hydrant. And it's shooting over two stories high. It's not a water fountain that barely trickles in the hallway of a school. It's a fire hydrant blasting gallons of water freely. I should have found a a video of Old Faithful in the middle of its eruption because Old Faithful would work for our God. And what James is telling us is when we go to him for wisdom, that's what he looks like. That's how he responds to the prayer, God, I'm in the middle of this trial and I need your help. I need wisdom. I need you to show me how to respond to this person, to this circumstance, to this affliction, to this sickness, whatever it may be. God looks like that. And I don't know about you, that, but that blows, and it ought to blow your mind. It blows my mind to think that my God, in the middle of a trial, if I'll simply ask for wisdom, he will give like that. And yet we run dehydrated. Do what? We live 
absolutely spiritually dehydrated lives, wisdom, wisdom dehydrated lives in the middle of trials when there is a fountain with more water than we could ever drink. Waiting for a simple prayer that says, I need wisdom. God, help me. Why? I love 1 John 5, verse 14. It says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, see, here's the deal. We know it's God's will to ask for wisdom because it's in James chapter 1, verse 5, right? He tells us, he commands us. It's not an option, by the way. In the middle of the trials, we're commanded to ask for wisdom. We know it to be the will of God. And when we ask in accordance with his will, we can be very confident he hears us and he'll answer like a fire hydrant. You see, one of the elements of spiritual maturity, that spiritual maturity that God desires to produce in us through trials, is a constant, childlike moment-by-moment dependence on Him. He designs your trials. He makes sure that when a trial is allowed to come in my direction, when it's set up in my path by my Father for me, He makes sure it's one that I can't figure out. Why? So that I'll say, God, I don't have wisdom for this. I am going to ask you, for wisdom. And then when I ask, he pours it out. And who gets the glory? Who's honored as the, as the source of all things and, 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 and our help, our refuge and strength? God. There's no figuring out on your own. Once we realize our need for wisdom and that God our Father is himself the source, then we must go to him and ask for it. I want you to see thirdly and finally this morning the channel of wisdom. Second part of verse 5 says, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. That's prayer. Okay? Then verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's pretty stout. Such a person is double-minded and unable, unstable in all they do. You see, the channel of divine wisdom is prayer. Divine wisdom comes through believing prayer. Believing prayer. That's important. It's not just any prayer, because he says that in here, doesn't he? You can ask in a, with doubt and, and, and get nothing. In fact, he says, don't expect to get anything. One commentator says, we need to learn to ask for wisdom in the middle of trials instead of getting angry and saying, why me? Sometimes we talk to God in the middle of a trial, but it's, God, why me? Why? Why are you doing this? We should be saying, God, why not me? (laughs) Thank you for your grace that I'm even able to call you Father. Give me wisdom for this trial. Do you talk to God when trials come? Do you pray and ask your Father for wisdom when trials come? Moreover, do you believe God when you pray? 
Well, what does he mean here? You must believe and not doubt. What, what does he mean here? What is James getting at? You may be thinking, I mean, if I pray, then I clearly believe God. Well, not necessarily. At least not necessarily in the way that James is talking about. When we look at the context, and, and by the way, we always have to look at the context. Amen? Context is always king in any verse of the Bible. Never take a, a verse and pull it out of its context. Never try to understand one verse without understanding what's all around it. When we look at the, at the context, we see that exactly what we saw last week, that God has a plan to use trials to train us and make us mature in our faith. So believing God in verse 6, it seems to me, has to do with, a, with having an awareness of God's sovereignty and his good training program in our lives and believing that he wants to grow our faith through the trial that we find ourselves in. That's what it means to pray with faith, believing God, believing that what God's doing, he does have a purpose and it is good and he's going to grow us in our faith if we'll just listen and pay attention and follow his wisdom. It's not the kind of belief that treats God like a genie in the bottle. And is really only wanting an end to the difficulty of the trial. Nor is it the kind of belief that is just covering our bases. Meaning, you know, we're working to try to figure out how to deal with life. Specifically, to get out of the fire of the trial. But we go ahead and throw up a prayer just in case. Right? And then we say, hey, I, I've believed God and I've prayed about it. But I mean, really you're not trusting God. You're really trusting your scheming and conniving to get out of the mess that you perceive you're in. I mean, I've been there and done that. Have you? You see, the point is that these kinds of belief are self-centered and ignore the good and gracious plan of God's sovereign control of our lives, our circumstances. And if we have these sorts of belief when we pray, James says we are doubters. Those who doubt the goodness and wisdom of God's plan for, our trial, for trials in our lives. And the one who doubts, the text says, is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. This is not the person, it's not the man who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's not the person who wants to trust God but has a little struggle going on and acknowledges it and says, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just weak in my faith right now, but you help me believe because I know you're true and trustworthy. It's not that kind of doubt. This is the doubt of those who've decided that God's sovereign plan cannot possibly be for their best and that their own wisdom and thoughts are what is actually best for them, and that always involves getting out of this trial. It involves the heat being turned off and my life being easy and comfortable and nice. You know, waves of the sea are ever-changing and wind-beaten, aren't they? They have no control of their shape or their direction, right? They're beautiful to watch, but, I mean, that's, that's the reality of the waves. And, and James says, the person that's like the waves isn't going to receive anything, wisdom or otherwise, from God. And then he says, that person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Literally, the word double-minded there, if you translate it from the Greek, it, it's literally double-souled, two-souled. And it's interesting, this is the first occurrence of this particular Greek word in any of the Greek literature. It's used again over in, by James over in chapter 4, verse 8. And some believe James just made it up. He coined the word. 
People that live like this, James says, they're two-souled. Now, y'all are smart. Is that even possible? No. That's his point. The picture here is that we're divided at the very core of our being, unable to give full trust and allegiance to anyone, not even God. John Bunyan, in the classic Pilgrim's Progress, called such a person Mr. Facing Both Ways. Would, it, would somebody stand up and try that for me? I mean, you can't do it. You can't go two, down two roads that go in opposite directions at the same time. You can't truly face both ways at the same time. And yet James says, when you doubt God, but you're still throwing prayers up, when you're really committed to the world's wisdom of living life, but in a problem situation, you decide you're going to throw a prayer up and ask God to help, just know you're too sold and God's not listening. You'll get nothing from him, James says. That's why James 3, 13 to 18 is so important. And our understanding of what godly wisdom in action looks like. You see, the double-souled person is not trusting God at all. Their prayers, our prayers when we're living this way, are simply words without meaning thrown up like some sort of religious charm or magic trick to a genie. Such prayers are not the trusting, dependent cries of a child to their father who the child knows to be wise and good and gracious and trustworthy, even in trials. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. You know, as... And as we pray, we ought to pray with an open Bible. Amen? Ready to see in the Word of God what God's wisdom is, even as we did in James 3, 13 to, 7, 13 to 18, but, but seeing in particular passages that speak to specific things in our lives, specific issues and relationships in our lives, what God says we should look like in those relationships and situations and and, and circumstances. Psalm 119, verses 98 and 99 says, Your commands are always with me, listen to this, and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes, your word. So you're in a trial. You lack wisdom. You acknowledge that to God and you say, God, give me wisdom. And then you start listening. How do you know if one of your church friends speaks into your situation a word, says something, he says, here's what I think about that situation. How do you know whether it's good or bad advice? That is, how do you know if it's godly wisdom or just the wisdom of the world. How do you know? Go to the Word. James 3, 13 to 18 is a great general overview of wisdom in general that comes from above. But again, you can go to specific places about specific issues and look at the book. Here's, here, here's what you can know. 
God's Spirit will never lead you and counsel you with wisdom that differs from the very book that He inspired. The Bible and the answer to your prayers, they'll sync up when you ask God for wisdom. Most often, they will come through the Word itself or a clear application of the Word of God to your situation. And and let me just say this. If you think you've gotten wisdom and the Word hadn't been involved, you're off base somewhere. And it's probably worldly wisdom that you're walking according to. Amen? I'm telling you, folks, we've got to be people of the book. And this is where we find the wisdom of God. You see, we can consistently live by God's wisdom in all the trials of our lives. Here's the question. Are you drinking from the fire hydrant of God's infinite wisdom through believing prayer before an open Bible. That's where the rubber meets the road. And if you're looking at your life and feeling like you don't have God's direction, God's wisdom, but then you acknowledge, no, I'm not. I'm not drinking from that fire hydrant through prayer and before an open Bible. Then here's your sign. Pray and open the book. You say, Chad, is it that simple? Yes, it's that simple. And God is that powerful. And He's that willing. Wisdom is waiting on you. Your Father wants to show you how to go. We can consistently live by God's wisdom in all the trials of our lives. All the different situations, whether we would call it a trial or not. All we have to do is prayerfully drink and seek God in His Word. Let's pray together.